0: you are listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope today's message inspires you. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect. Oh, this morning, I just wanted to start off by sharing... Um, A story of myself, you know, 14 years ago, I was in a church similar to this one, and I was sitting uh, in the pews, and uh, I was looking at some of my friends that were in line waiting to get baptized. It was a baptismal service, and I was sitting there, you know, and I was kind of itching. I had this kind of itch because I wanted to myself be baptized, but I came from a non-Christian home, and already my parents were feeling a little bit apprehensive about my church involvement and how frequently I was attending and how into it I'd become in such a short span. And uh, so I opted not to get baptized that Sunday just out of respect to my parents, thinking, you know, I don't know how they'd feel about it. I didn't even want to actually even ask them. I was a little bit fearful because I wasn't sure how they'd respond. But I was sitting in that service, and and uh, Pastor Lancer, old former senior pastor here, was my youth pastor uh, back in Mid Park years ago, and he was walking up, one of the side aisles coming up to baptize some of my friends. And he stopped in the aisle and looked down at me and said, Mark, do you want to be baptized this morning? And I said, yeah, yeah, I do. And so Cindy, his uh, faithful wife, ran to his office and grabbed an extra T-shirt that he had in there. And I changed and I came out with this T-shirt that was more like a nightie that went past my my knees. If any of you have met uh, Lance, he's quite a tall man, a lot larger than I am. And his shirt um, was much larger than the shirts that I normally wear. And, um, and that morning, I decided to get baptized. And, you know, it was an amazing, amazing thing when I got to stand before my friends and my church and declare that from this day forward, I was going to choose to lay aside my selfish ambition, that I was going to pick up my cross, I was going to follow Jesus every day, and that I loved him and that I wanted to follow Jesus. And since that day, I've never really looked looked back. You know, the the journey of walking and following Jesus is not always easy. It can be challenging. There's ups and downs, and I've definitely had ups and downs in, in my walk over the last few years. You know, we experienced trials. We experienced temptations. You know, there were days, especially leading up to my high school graduation, where I was experiencing quite a bit of pressure from home because my parents really wanted me to go to university, apply to universities, and I wasn't doing that process. I really felt like God had something for me, but I didn't know what it was, and they didn't understand why I was seemingly sitting on my hands when I should be applying for college or university. And, um... I was experiencing pressure you know, a little bit at school because I had a friend group now that, at school that were Christians, and we were beginning to get a little bit more vocal. We'd step out and we'd pray for some friends. We were trying to be light in our school, and sometimes you'd kind of get ridiculed by kids, and people would look at you and you asked if you could pray for them, and they'd just kind of laugh at you and walk away. And there were days you know, I'd think if it was worth it, if it was worth all this pressure that I was feeling, then on top of that, you have all this inward resistance of, you know, doubting sometimes and questioning, is that, am I in the right thing? Is, it, is this worth it? Is this, is this worth what I'm doing here? Is it worth sticking this through? Well, I can tell you, church, that it is definitely worth sticking it through. It is definitely worth persevering through it. And uh, when I'd be going through these seasons of, of, oh my goodness, this is difficult. Is this worth it? I'd be reminded of Romans 6, where Paul is discussing God's grace and how it's no excuse to willfully sin. And uh, beginning in verse 3, Paul asked the question, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized unto his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through the baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we might too walk in newness of life. I'd be reminded that I have made a commitment before my friends, before my church family, before God, that I was going to serve him with my life, that I was going to follow him. And even when the times got tough, I would stick it out because I was a new person. I was new, that the things that plagued me in my past no longer had to hold me down. Verse 5, it says, For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. That's hope. There's hope for us that serve Jesus, that walk in relationship with God that we know that one day there will be a resurrection in which we will live eternally with God our Father forever in his presence. And uh, it's an amazing thing. It's, it's, there's hope for the future. You know, on the most difficult and discouraging days, I remember, I would remember my baptism. I would remember Romans 6. You know, when I was tired of that inward resistance and uh, that I encountered within myself, my family, and my friends, you know I would um, I would make the choice to do the things that I wanted to, even sometimes if i didn 't feel like it. I knew I needed to st- keep going to church. I knew I needed to keep staying connected uh, with my Bible, and so I got this Bible zine it was called um, i didn 't really I was still a little self conscious to bring my Bible to school, so I got this thing called a Bible zine, and it was a New Testament that looked like a magazine. And so I'd bring it, I'd have it and stick it on the corner of my desk or whatever and I'd read it and people wouldn't know I was reading the Bible and then it didn't seem too preachy or too showy or whatever. I didn't stand out too much. Um, But it was an interesting season. I remember, you know, we were moving um, this summer and I came across a book. It was a book that I had made a little portfolio, a career portfolio that I designed in high school And I was in a high school that we were kind of a guinea pig high school, it was the new, a brand new high school, it was the first graduating class. When I attended in grade 10, it was the very first, we were the first and only students in that school. And we went through grade 10, grade 11, or grade 12, and we were the first graduating class. So um, we were always the oldest. And uh, so the first year was quite a small school, and then the next year it doubled, and the next year it was three times as large as grade 10. But we had to do this class called Career by Design and we'd create a portfolio, we'd have to sit through and, and do job shadows. We'd think through what kind of career do we want to have. And We started exploring job opportunities and exploring what we wanted to do. And one of the things that we had to do in grade 10 was create a mission statement about our career progression, about what we wanted to do. And every year we would edit it and change it and update it. And I came across my mission statement that I had. And I remember when I did this mission statement and I sat down with my career by design teacher they told me it wasn't a proper mission statement because it had nothing to do with career. And I remember going back and forth and said, well, this is what I got now, this is all I have. You can fail me if you want, but this is all I have. And I just wanted to read it to you. And it's profound to me because reflecting back on my 14-year-old self before I knew Jesus and my 16-year-old self after I had been set on the course of following Jesus is a stark contrast. And this is what I wrote as my mission statement. I said, my mission is to have a ministry in the body of Christ and to bring people to God. I really care about making a difference in the lives of others and will do so by serving friends, family, and community. As I read this, I just thought, wow. If my 14-year-old self could see this, he would have laughed at this mark out of of town. Um, But a change had taken place. There's a newness of life in me, a change of perspective, a change that took place that changed the very way I looked at my existence, the reason that I was here on this earth. It was no longer just to do the best for me, but I was part of a larger picture, part of a larger plan that God had created me because he loved me and he wanted to walk in relationship with me and he had a plan and a purpose for my life. And for you in this room, God has a plan and a purpose for your lives. You may not know it yet, may not be sure exactly what that looks like or what it is, but he has a plan for you. You know, to be a Christian, Jesus said in John 3, that we must be born again. This is a spiritual birth that takes place, a radical transformation of our spirit and our heart that impacts every part of our life, including our identity, our meaning, our purpose for living. And it's a new birth, there's no, long, there's no greater change that can happen in someone's life than to experience a new birth brought about by the Spirit of God. And it's an amazing thing. You know, often in Scripture, we see um, an image, an imagery throughout, right from the beginning all the way through Scripture, of God birthing new things, bringing about new life, new purposes through water and Spirit. If you go with me, if you have your Bibles, you can go to Genesis 1, uh, 1 to 2 where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. God spoke, and the creation of the world took place, beginning with light. That in the very beginning, God created something new by water and his Spirit. Later in the book of Genesis, chapter 6, we see the story of Noah. And uh, in verse 5, it says this, "'The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, "'and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart "'was only evil all the time. "'The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, "'and his heart was deeply troubled. "'So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth "'the entire human race that I have created.'" And with them, the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. We know the story. Most of us that went to kids' church or children's church growing up would know the story very well. God then rescues Noah and his seven other family members after he floods the earth with rains for 40 days and 40 nights. Noah faithfully goes out and, and constructs an ark in which um, animals load onto the ark, and Noah and his family. And um, the whole earth is flooded. And then Noah, after the rain stop, Noah sends out a dove in search of land. And eventually a dove does come back to him with a twig in its mouth. What's interesting here is the story of Noah, it's, it's the birth of something new. It's a new start for the human race brought about through Noah, by the act of God. And what's interesting is the symbolism here. You have water. Noah is saved by the water in the ark. And up ahead was the hope of new life on dry land when the dove, which often in scripture is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, returns to Noah. Another new beginning that we see in scripture is found in the book of Exodus. God calls Moses to lead the Israelites out of slavery. God brings plagues upon the land of Egypt and Moses leads the Israelites through the waters of the Red Sea to safety. You know, the Bible says in Exodus 13:21 to 22, the Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day and led them on the way in the pillar of fire by night to give them light that they would travel by day and by night. And it did not take away the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Again, we see water and spirits so we see that this pillar of smoke and fire by day is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. We see the people of Israel passing through the waters of the Red Sea, and the Holy Spirit is there, above them. God is starting something new, and often when God begins something new and births something new, we see water, we see spirit. Prophet Ezekiel in chapter thirty-six tells us a little bit about what this new covenant that God is going to bring to the world and what it's going to look like in verses 25 to 27. He says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit, capital S, my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. This new covenant that God is going to bring, he describes in the Old Testament as being cleansed by water and his spirit being placed inside of us. Move a little bit now into the New Testament. What do we see in the Gospels? Well, at the beginning we see John the Baptist, who with a spirit of repentance is baptizing people in the Jordan. Jesus, in fact, goes to John and is is baptized. John is the last prophet, major prophet of the Old Testament. And he baptizes Jesus in the water by submersion. And as he is submersed in the water the spirit descends from the heavens like a dove Isn't that an amazing thing then we fast forward a little bit to john chapter 3 jesus is having a discussion with nicodemus where jesus explains how all men are able to enter the kingdom of god he explains this by the term being born again and then he further clarifies by saying it means to be born of water and spirit, I can go to John three verse one. Oh look, look at that! He's already up there. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. I just wanted to stop and just point out a few things about Nicodemus. It says he was a Pharisee. And sometimes I think what we think of Pharisees from what we know of Scripture and what the people in Jesus' day thought of Pharisees are two very, very different things. And so um, I wanted to quote something that I read from a book called Accidental Pharisee by Larry Osborne, where he describes Pharisees in this way. He says, today, most of us hear the word Pharisee, and we immediately conjure up images of hypocritical, narrow-minded, puffed-up spiritual losers, but in Jesus' day, to be called a Pharisee was a huge badge of honor. It was a compliment, not a slam, because in first century, a first-century Pharisee lived up to everything that we today often look up to in our spiritual walk. They were zealous for God, completely committed to their faith. They were theologically astute masters of the biblical text. They obeyed even the most obscure commands, and even made up new ones just to make sure that they didn't slip up on any of these other commands that they were following. Their embrace of spiritual disciplines was second to none. Sure, they could be a bit harsh and arrogant at times, but most of their contemporaries took it at stride. After all, they would earned the right to boast and look down on everyone else because they were paying a price that few others were willing to pay. The Pharisees were a select group, of people at the top of the social order of Israel during this day, the Pharisees, it says here, were rulers of the Jews. Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. So the Jews, according to some reading I had, the the Pharisees, you know, Nicodemus was likely part of the Sanhedrin. He's part of the ruling class of Israel of Israel. And at that time, there was about, from what I read, seventy-one men that composed the Sanhedrin. the Sanhedrin was kind of like the equivalent of the Supreme Court and Parliament. They made laws, they enforced the laws, they made sure that people, they explored the laws and made sure that the laws of Israel aligned with the law of the Lord. And um, they were very, very important people of this day. You know, Jesus even recognized the zealousness of the Pharisees in Matthew 5 during the Sermon on the Mount in a Verse, uh, chapter 5 verse 20 he says I tell you unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven what's interesting here is Jesus is not actually saying that you can earn your way into heaven you know after this he's, he's discussing in this passage um, the laws of Moses and talking about you've heard it said not to commit murder You've heard it said, not to commit adultery. And this is where Jesus brings up the standard to the point that he says, the law says not to commit adultery. I say, even if you lust, look at a woman with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. Jesus ratchets up the demand of the law in our life to an impossible standard. One in which there's no way in our, by our human righteousness, by trying to of our own means, that we could ever be made right with God by our own self-righteousness. And he clarifies this in 5 verses 48, where he says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Or some of your versions of your Bibles would say, be holy as God is holy. See, Jesus is saying here that salvation is the work of God. We cannot save ourselves or do anything to warrant salvation. God doesn't owe it to us, but because of the mercy and grace of God Almighty, he's made a way for us to be made right with him through his son. You know, probably the most famous scripture would be John 3.16. And it's an interesting verse because for most of my Christian walk, I would often take it in isolation. I think so many of us take John 3.16, we pull it out of the Bible, and we make it as like it's a standalone text, But what's interesting about John 3.16, is John 3.16 is nestled in the conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus about what it means to be born again. I don't know if we often think about it in that context, that that is where in Scripture we find John 3.16. Immediately before John 3.16 in verses 14 and 15, we see this amazing picture. Jesus says, "'As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged but he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the gospel message. Nicodemus, on this night that he went to see Jesus, heard the gospel, clearly laid out. As interesting as you read further into the gospel of John, when Jesus is crucified, actually you see Nicodemus, two other times in scripture, one time when the leaders and the Pharisees and the temple um, leaders are discussing, what are we gonna do with this Jesus? He's committed these crimes, this blasphemy, and Nicodemus stands up and says, hey, are, is that how we do things around here? We charge people without, without giving them a chance to stand for themselves? Um, this is the Mark paraphrase version, obviously. And so he stands up for Jesus in the background. And he says, "At least give this guy a trial. Are we going to condemn a man before he's even received a trial?" The next time we see Nicodemus is after Jesus is crucified, and he's taken down from the cross, and Nicodemus is there with Cyea. Um, His name's liking me. Joseph, yes, Arimathea. And Jesus is given a rich man's burial. Given everything he needs. Where are the rest of the disciples? Who knows? The Bible records John was there and with the woman. But it's interesting who shows up. Who shows up in public after this most outrageous event? Who's there to give Jesus a proper burial? And a proper burial was not something you did for somebody who was crucified. The standard practice was the Romans would bring down the body and they'd throw them near the dump and dogs and wild animals would tear the bodies apart until there was nothing left. I read that in a commentary somewhere. It was very, very unusual because the point of the crucifixion was to show that it was the most undignified thing you could do to a human body. That person now was no longer human in the eyes of the, Roman and the Romans. They were less than human. And their bodies were completely destroyed in the process. But here we see John 3.16 nestled in this conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews, part of the Sanhedrin, the ruling class of Israel. In 3.2 it says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these things. These signs that you do, unless God is with them. I want to just highlight three things. One is it says he came by night. A lot of uh, commentaries say that he came by night perhaps because he didn't want to be seen by the other ruling elite. He didn't want other people to see that he was going to meet with this Jesus, which is very probable. Two, you notice that he says, Rabbi, we know Nicodemus is meeting with Jesus on behalf of not only himself, but at least one other person. He's speaking in the plural. He's saying we. And it's interesting, because when Jesus is crucified, you see two people there, two high-standing leaders of the Sanhedrin. And three, he recognizes that he has come from God because he's seen the miracles. He's seen and heard about what Jesus is doing, and he recognizes that you must be from God. John 3.3, 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's interesting here because it's almost like Jesus is answering a question that Nicodemus hasn't even quite asked yet. Jesus doesn't skip around. He just gets right to the, just throws the punch right here and says, truly, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, there are two, two primary ways that I've studied that people understand being born again. Um, the text kind of gives, gives way to two meanings, to be born again. One is to be born another time, born a second time. And the other is to be born of above. Nicodemus' response to Jesus saying this, that you must be born again, gives us a, a hint as to which way Nicodemus was leaning. For Nicodemus responds, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus then answers, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus clarifies exactly what he is speaking of. He's not speaking about in terms of necessarily like, a second birth of a human, natural, fleshly birth, of entering back into your mother's womb and being born again. But he's speaking of being born of above, born of heaven, born of the Spirit of God, born of water and Spirit. Initially, when I used to read this text, I used to think, well, that answer seems almost as obscure and hard to understand as the initial phrase that he's using what's interesting, the more that you study into these texts, the more you see things, at least I've been seeing things lately that I've never seen before. You see, there's a few different ways that people understand from what I, the main primary ways that people interpret this passage of what it means to be born of water. I think being born of spirit, most, most commentaries agree that it's the Holy Spirit coming in the second covenant and God coming and inhabiting his people. But to be born of water what exactly does that mean well one understanding of being born of water is that he's talking about a natural birth he's talking about you know that as man is born into the world uh, he's the amniotic fluid is water and we even say that right now that as a woman's water breaks it's time for baby to come into the world that's this one understanding of, of what it means to be born of water but um there's a couple of reasons I think that that might not be what Jesus was saying. Um, one is most scholars believe that the term born of water and spirit, that textually it means one and the same, that it's one act. That he's not there talking about two births, being born of water and another birth being born of spirit. But that he's contrasting being born again with, you know, you were born and now you need to be born of water and spirit. Um, which may rule that out. Um, Number two, water is sometimes considered to be significant as far as baptism, that maybe what Jesus is saying is that you need to be baptized and filled with the Spirit. You need to be baptized in water and filled with the Spirit. Be born again. Um, That's definitely definitely a possibility. I know... um, there's a couple of interesting things there with that, with that theory. One is that baptism is not really something from the Old Testament. Nicodemus was an Old Testament scholar. He, A little bit later, he says, he, you know, Jesus actually criticizes Nicodemus for not understanding what he's trying to tell him. And he says to him, you know, you don't understand these things, and you are, you are a teacher of the law or the teacher of the law. And, uh, you know, Nicodemus likely would have had some understanding of baptism because he would have heard of John the Baptist he would have known that the Bible says that that all the people of Jerusalem went out to be baptized. Obviously, not every single person went out, but John the Baptist was making a stir. People would be familiar that there was some guy wearing camel skin and looked like a mess out there, you know, eating locusts and honey, dipping people in water, preaching that they need to repent for the kingdom of God is near. They would have been familiar with John the Baptist, but would he have been familiar with baptism as it relates to um, the second coming, or like the coming of Christ and and what Jesus had planned for the whole, um, the second covenant, the new covenant? Um, probably not. Um, but what's interesting is, is in the next verse here, um, the third option then, if not those two, that is most commonly uh, shared and discussed, is this idea of, Becoming born of water and spirit, referring to the new covenant, of what God is going to do in the new covenant. And we see this in the Old Testament in Ezekiel 36. Um, here, John 3, 6. Let's go to this next verse here where Jesus says, "And that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Um, this is one reason that some people think it's the natural flesh, but when you relate it to Ezekiel, um, it gives kind of new meaning to John 3 6. John 3 says, "Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again." Um, Nicodemus is confused. He says, "How can these things be?" Jesus answered and said to him, "Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things?" So I just want to quickly go to Ezekiel 36:25. Um where it says this, "Then you will sprinkle clean water, then I will sprinkle clean water on you." and you will be made clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. What's interesting about Ezekiel 36 is it reminds me very much of Matthew 28. Where Jesus says to go to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you to do. Here, the Bible is saying that God is gonna put his spirit within us. It's gonna cause us to walk in his statues, to walk in God's ways, to do God's will on the earth, and that we'll be careful to observe God's ordinances. Titus 3, 5. It says, he saved us not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Often in scripture when we see uh, water is often linked to this idea of cleansing, of purifying, of cleaning. And, um, And I think that may be what born of water is talking about that is God cleansing us. You know, sometimes we talk about being um, like cleansed by the blood of Jesus, that we're forgiven, that we're washed by the blood of Jesus. I think that that might be part of what it's talking about. You know, Hebrews ten twenty two says, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See, God comes into our life and does an amazing thing. He makes us new. He cleanses us. He forgives us of our sin. and We become a new being, a new creation in which we can now walk in righteousness. Because his spirit is in us, God now looks at us and we can live with the righteousness of Christ that we take off our our dirty robes of unrighteousness and bear Christ's righteousness. And so we are able to walk as pure holy people, as the church. You know, Acts 2 at Pentecost, actually, um, Caleb, you can come on up now. Um, Acts 2 at Pentecost, we see the Holy Spirit come upon the disciples. The gospel is preached. Hearts are convicted by the Holy Spirit and they receive revelation from God that Jesus may in fact be the Messiah, that he may be the Son of God and that he died for their sins. And the people that are convicted say, what must we do? Peter responds saying, repent and be baptized. The gospels preached, men and women and children believe, they hear the word, they repent, they're baptized, and continually through the New Testament, especially in Acts, we see a filling of the Holy Spirit. This morning, if you are here, I'm not saying that this is the way that you should interpret the scripture. But I'm saying look into it. Dive into scripture. It's fun. It's an exploration of saying, God, what does your word mean? What kind of set me on this path is that I was thinking about being born again. And often when people say, what does it mean to be born again? I would jump to some doctrinal standpoint that we have to explain what it means rather than going back to what Jesus says. What Jesus says, Jesus says what, what it means to be born again means to be born of water and spirit. It's rejuvenation. It's washing clean. His spirit being put inside of us, and us becoming alive, being able to walk in a new way as God's holy people. And this morning, if you're here and you haven't ever made that step, you don't know who God is this morning maybe you've never felt like you've had that experience where all of a sudden, you know what? Everything has changed. You're made into a new person. That you've been fit, or maybe you've given your heart to Jesus, you've received him, but you're wanting to know God in a deeper way. Maybe you've never experienced what we as Pentecostals call like a second coming of the spirit where we're baptized in the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit comes upon us. We believe in power and authority so that we can walk out God's will in our life, moving in the gifts of the Spirit. Maybe you're somebody here that is saved, but they've never been baptized. And my question for you is why not? What's holding you back? What's preventing you from being baptized? You know, we sometimes do things backwards where people get saved and then who knows how long goes by that we don't even mention baptism. But in Scripture, we don't see that. As soon as somebody got saved, it was like, what's preventing this person now from being baptized? And there's something magical that happens. I shouldn't say magical, it's the wrong word, but something amazing that happens at baptism. I don't know exactly what it is. It's not baptism that saves you. But God does something when you get baptized and you make a public declaration in you. I know some people have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit as they're being baptized. I've seen that. So my question to you is if you have never been baptized, why not? We're having a baptismal service on the 10th, and I encourage you to sign up. And if you haven't been baptized, and you're not feeling like I want to go sign up, come talk to me, and I'm just curious to know why. I'm just curious. Um, I'd like to talk to you about it. But if you are here and you've never received Jesus, you've never chosen to put your faith in Jesus, to repent and to follow him, I just want to give you an opportunity this morning to do that. If I could just ask everybody to close their eyes and bow their heads. If you're here this morning and you realize that you are walking a path, it's not good. That God is not leading and guiding you. That you've not put your faith and trust in Jesus. I just want to give you an opportunity this morning to say, yes, I would like to receive Jesus in my life this morning. Pastor Mark, would you pray for me? All I got to do is raise your hand. And I'd love to pray with you after service. Is there Anybody? I won't belag too long. But if there's anyone here that wants to experience a newness of life, one of which you are born again, born of water and spirit, walking in newness of life, just so raise your hand. Yeah, I see that hand. Thank you. Give it another ten seconds, Lord. I thank you the sporting God that you save. Jesus, we thank you for what you did on the cross. God, we thank you, Lord, that you came and you died. Lord, that so we could know our Heavenly Father and be reconciled to God once again. God, I pray, Lord, that we would know new life. Holy Spirit, that you would come and fill us with your your Holy Spirit. God, this morning, wash us clean of any iniquity, any sin in our life, anything that's not from you, so that we may walk with perseverance. God, if there's anyone here today, God, that is struggling with a sin battle, Lord, I pray, God, that you would come, restore their heart. God, give them them the strength to persevere and to walk in righteousness. God, as it says in First Corinthians six eleven, such some of you were, but now you were washed, you were sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and in the Spirit of our God. God, show us what it means to walk and live a holy life set apart for you, for your purposes, for the kingdom of God. God, give us the humility that when we stumble and fall, Lord, that we can stand back up and continue on by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray, God, that if there's anyone here that that hasn't been baptized, Lord, that they would take the step, that they'd sign up, and then they take the leap into the pool and make that public declaration that they're going to follow you all the days of their life. Experience the blessing of what it means to be, be new, be washed clean. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if anyone needs prayer for anything, please come to the front. I'd love to pray with you. Our prayer team will pray with you. And um, that individual raised their hand, come come see me. I'd love to, to pray with you and talk to you and just give you a little gift. But um, be blessed. Have an amazing week. And um, yeah, keep digging into your word. It's covering new things. Amen. Bless you. You've been listening to a Cold Lake Community Church podcast. We hope that you've been blessed by this teaching from Cold Lake Community Church. Thank you for your continued support of this ministry. Cold Lake Community Church, a place where families connect.